0: good morning everyone Um, I'm sorry to cut in on your conversations but you will have more time at the end of the service hello hello Um, and welcome to everyone online. It's fantastic to have so many people here. If it's your first time with us, especially, you are very welcome. And um, Brian was just saying, what makes Jubilee special? And I stood there thinking, goodness me, my family and I, we came to Jubilee 11 years ago. And how on earth can I put into a sentence, what makes Jubilee special? But let's see if we can all try and, and help Brian in this way. I'm part of the leadership team. And as Dan has said, um, we're looking at this series around meals, what it means to be sharing meals together. And today, I'm going to be speaking about meals and discipleship. So if you have a Bible, can you turn to Luke chapter 24? If not, the key verses, they'll come up on the screens as we work our way through this passage today. So let's pray before I start speaking. Heavenly Father, thank you that your presence has already been with us today. Thank you that you are a God who meets us where we are at. And I pray now, will you help me as I speak? And will you help everyone here, everyone um, listening online? Will you be speaking to each one of us today? Amen. Jesus had been crucified on the Friday, what we now refer to as Good Friday. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath when Jews were not allowed to travel or work in any way. And that included the fact that the women weren't allowed to go to the tomb to embalm Jesus' body. However, on the Sunday they went, they were ready. They were part of Jesus' wider group of disciples and they wanted to go to his tomb. But when they got there, they found the stone rolled away and two angels saying to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. The women then ran back to tell the disciples this amazing news, that Jesus was not dead. He was alive, but they weren't believed. As Christians, we now know how the story unfolds. But put yourself in their shoes. They had seen Jesus arrested. They'd seen him battered. They'd seen him tortured and mocked and then publicly executed. They'd seen every agonizing moment of his death on the cross. And some of them had even been there and carried his body off the cross and laid it in the tomb. They knew that Jesus was dead. So, Luke 24, verses 13 to 19 says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? he asked them. So here we have two people, Cleopas and another person, possibly Mary, his wife. Mary, the wife of Clopas, was at the foot of the cross as Jesus died. And Bible scholars think that Clopas and Cleopas were probably the same person, just like you may know me as Sue, and a few of you might know me as Susan. Either way, these two disciples were followers of Jesus. They would have been in his wider group of 70. They had left Jerusalem. They were walking on this day without hope. Their dreams shattered. They'd seen the one they loved, the one they were following. They'd seen him killed. They would have been exhausted, confused, and grieving. Why they were going to Emmaus, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But possibly they just felt We've had enough. We've just got to get away. I'm sure many of us have felt like that at some point in our lives. So into this emotional turmoil steps a man, a man who they didn't recognize, a man who was a stranger. He didn't give any quick answers. He doesn't tell them to pull themselves together. He doesn't change the subject. He simply walks with them. He asks what's going on, and he listens. In fact, as he's walking, he stops and listens. He accepts them exactly where they are at. Sometimes listening is the most important thing we can do for a person. Listening takes time. Listening takes effort. Listening shows that at that moment, what the other person has to say is more important than what we ourselves have to say. As you listen, you're not brushing aside the other person's situation, but you're interested and you're with them in it. And we can learn from how Jesus listened to these disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Christian theologian, said, the first service one owes to others is listening to them. It is God's love to us that he not only gives us his word, but he gives us his ear. Christians so often think they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Jesus listened, and then we get what we know now is a crazy question from Cleopas in verse 9. Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been going on? Where have you been? Cleopas doesn't actually say that, but I think that's the gist, isn't it? Afterwards, Cleopas must have thought, what a crazy question. How on earth could I have asked Jesus that? But even in this question, Jesus showed grace. Jesus showed kindness. Jesus again wants to listen to these two disciples as they're walking down the road. He could cope with their questions, and he can cope with our questions today. So in verse 19, he said, What things? They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. They did not see Jesus, and neither did these two disciples. Cleopas did quite well as he explained to Jesus what had happened to Jesus. He knew the facts, but he spoke about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Yes, Jesus had been Jesus from Nazareth, but he was so much more than that. He was the Son of God. He was God incarnate. He was the one who was anticipated through all of the Old Testament and, in fact, was the fulfillment of so many of the Old Testament prophecies, these prophecies that the disciples would have known so well. Cleopas was so near in his understanding and yet so far. He wanted a Jesus who was the conquering king, but not the one who was a suffering service a suffering servant he wanted the victory but he didn't expect the cross he wanted the glory but not the shame of the death as a criminal a few weeks ago i was asked on three separate occasions who are you the first time i wasn't recognized because i was wearing a mask And the other person was wearing a mask. And every time we had spoken, over the last couple of months, we'd been wearing our masks. So they had every right not to recognize me. The next two times, I was in a situation with some other professionals in the city. And again, they said to me, who are you? Again, it was my fault. I'd left off my Jubilee lanyard. So they they didn't know that I was Sue, who'd worked at Jubilee, who was involved in the situation that was before us. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted them to say, oh, yes, we know who you are. I wanted them to be listening to me. Once once we'd cleared up the confusion, it was fine, and we all managed to work together. But they didn't know who I was, and I reacted. Here, Jesus, the disciples didn't know who he was. He didn't react, did he? The perfect son of God. But instead, in verse 25, he said, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, but he still didn't let on who he was. Even as Jesus was correcting the disciples, even as he was sorting their theology out, he didn't tell them off. He didn't say, for goodness sake, how many times have I explained this to you? You've been following me for how many years and you still don't get it? No. Even at that point, Jesus was kind and he was patient and he was gentle with those he was discipling. So verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. I love that end bit. You know, it says in Psalm 2, God in heaven laughs. And I think at that point, Jesus was probably laughing. He'd revealed himself and he went. But in these verses, we see the two disciples offering Jesus unplanned hospitality. This would have been quite common in their culture, but then it changed. As they sat at the table, Jesus changed from being the invited guest to being the host. And as host, he took the bread, he broke it, and began to give it to them. And in that moment, they saw who he was. They recognized him as he broke the bread. Why at that point? Why not as he was listening to them with compassion? Why not as he was explaining the scriptures? In Luke 9, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. All he had from the crowds before him were two little fish and five loaves of bread. And it says in verse 16, he took the bread and the fish, he gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples to distribute. We don't know, but possibly those disciples, the disciples here, would have been amongst the 5,000 on that day. But I'm sure they would have heard about it, heard about the miracle that Jesus had done. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to the crowd. Again, in Luke 22, Jesus was sharing what we now call the Last Supper with the 12 disciples. And in verse 19, it says, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These two disciples, Cleopas and his friend, they wouldn't have been in the Last Supper. But I don't know about you, but often when somebody dies, you go over their last few days, don't you? You're trying to remember everything they've said, every instruction they gave to you, every... Every look that they gave, you try and remember, and then you share it. You talk to those around you. And I think probably the disciples, these two disciples, they probably would have heard what happened in that upper room. They'd probably shared many meals with Jesus, though. They probably shared many meals, um, maybe private ones, maybe with other people, where they saw Jesus taking bread, just that normal, everyday thing, taking bread, giving thanks for it. But now Jesus, the word of God, the word made flesh amongst us, was present with them in his resurrected body as he broke the bread. He spoke out the word of God, bringing clarity into the hopelessness and confusion that those disciples were feeling. And he enacted the breaking of his body on the cross as he broke the bread and shared it with them. Verse verse 32 says, They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. By this point in the story, it was late it was dark. Jerusalem was about 7 miles from Emmaus, about as far as it is from here to the outskirts of Beverly. But the big difference is between here and Beverly there's a road, the street lights, it's safe. But for those disciples, they'd actually been urging Jesus not to travel in the dark because they knew it wasn't safe. But here, Because of their excitement, they immediately got up and went on the rough and dangerous tracks all the way back to Jerusalem, the place that they had been walking away from earlier that day. Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says, An encounter with Jesus is a call to action, to involvement, to participation. You can't remain a passive observer. For the two disciples, meeting the risen Christ results in a radical change of plan. They literally retrace their steps by returning to the city. Today, are you just a passive observer? You may know the facts about Jesus. You may be a Christian. You may have been baptized but you still don't really want to participate. You're happy to come along here on a Sunday, but you don't really want to have your faith in Jesus. Impact on your plans, impact on your hopes, and impact on your direction of travel. The encounter with Jesus in our story totally transformed the disciples. They'd been walking away from Jerusalem, walking away from God's plans, walking away from the other disciples, from their family, from their community. They were troubled, they were confused, but Jesus came in, brought the focus back from their loss to the truth in the scriptures, and the disciples saw him anew. The Greek word in the New Testament that we translate into disciple literally means a learner or a student. So a disciple of Jesus, what we now call a Christian, is literally a learner of Jesus. So we too can spur one another on through discipleship. As we give people time, as we listen, as we stop with them, as we point people to what the Bible says rather than to our good advice. It might be a prepared Bible study. It might be reminding them of a verse in scripture. But our intentional discipleship through the Bible, through the word of God, will cause other people to encounter Jesus, will spur people on, and may even cause others to change the direction of their lives. As Dan has shared, we're encouraging every single adult in our family here in Jubilee to be part of one of our new life groups. These are replacing our growth groups, and yes, we still want people to be growing in their faith, Um, absolutely. But with all the time that we've spent apart during lockdown, we really see that this is a season where we need to be coming together. We need to be intentionally doing life together around a table. We need to be discipling one another, to be learning Jesus, to be encountering him as we share food. I don't know what family memories you've got, but I've got two grown-up sons, and a lot of our memories, a lot of our do-you-remember-whens, it's around a table. It might have been a barbecue that almost went wrong because, you know, being boys, they liked flames, all that sort of stuff. It might have been birthday cakes made in secret. It might have been the jokes told repeatedly at the tea table. It might have been, Meals on holiday, sat in the car because we couldn't have a picnic because it was pouring with rain again. Probably some of you have got similar memories. But what about discipleship moments around a table? You know, I never said to my boys, okay, Wednesday night, dad's not got a meeting, we'll all be in for tea, we're going to sit down and we're going to disciple you tonight. Do you know, if I'd said that, some of you know my boys, they wouldn't even have come down for their tea. Um, but repeatedly, my late husband and I, we taught our boys around the table. We discussed faith. We discussed respect. We discussed relationships. We discussed money. We bought correction. We said our sorries. We prayed together. We prayed for other people, not just giving thanks for our food. We didn't say to the boys, this is a discipleship moment, but it was. The boys, they saw our lives lived out before them. We read our Bibles together, but the significant conversations tended to happen around the table as we ate together. Jesus accepted Cleopas' offer of hospitality. We're not told if they were staying in an inn or if they were staying in, in a friend's house or a family member's house. It was unexpected, it was late. We aren't told that Jesus checked what was going to happen. He just went in and he shared bread with them around a table. And for us now, sharing our food, doing life together, it doesn't need to be elaborate. The incredible encounter in Luke 24 simply occurred as they shared bread, the normal, everyday part of their meals. The food that we share together as family here in Jubilee, the food won't bring changed lives, but the presence of Jesus will. In Genesis chapter 3, we, verse, we, we read of the first sharing of food, where Eve took the forbidden fruit, shared it with Adam, and in that moment, God's perfect order was broken. Death came into the world. It said in verse 7 then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked their eyes were open to the problem. Not just the problem that they didn't have clothes on, but the problem that they had not accepted God's ways, that they had decided their ways were better than God's ways. They wanted to step out of God's perfect order. And so wrong, sin, rebellion, all of that came into the world. Basically, they they were thinking they knew better than God. Their eyes were opened to what they'd done. Here in Luke 24, where Luke describes the first meal that Jesus shared in his new resurrected body, the first meal in the new order of things after Jesus has risen from the dead, he said, then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Jesus' resurrection proved that he had defeated sin. He had broken the curse that had come in in the Garden of Eden. He had broken the curse that continued right through humanity. He had even won the victory from the dead as he was raised back to life. Jesus wanted his disciples to see and encounter the truth of his resurrection power. He wanted them to understand that the curse that had come in at the Garden of Eden was broken by his resurrection. He wanted them to have those hearts that were burning within them. He wanted them to understand his power and his glory and that things were different now. He wanted his disciples to see and believe, and encounter him. And that is what Jesus still wants for every one of us today. Can you stand, please? And can the band come back, Caroline? Jesus accepted where the disciples were at. He accepted their doubts and their fears, their confusion, and he still accepts us where we are at today. Today, in a minute, I'm going to pray, and we've got the opportunity to come to Jesus exactly as we are. Maybe you've never heard the fact that Jesus can transform your life. That is the truth of what we call the gospel, that Jesus died, he came back to life, and because he broke the power of our wrongs on the cross, we can have freedom in him, we can have eternal life. It might be today you want to pray and say, okay God, I don't really understand this, but I want change. I want you to change my life. I want you to make me anew. It might be today that you know you have been a passive observer, that you're here in the building, but are you sold out for God? A few weeks ago, Luke was talking and he said, Jesus wants you all in. Are you all in today? Or are you still that passive observer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here. You are here with us in the same way that you were there with those disciples on the Emmaus Road. And Father, I thank you that you accept us where we are at. Lord, I pray today for anyone here who is feeling that they're just in that confusion, they just don't know where they're going, that they will come to you with, with their confusion, with their questions, that you will give us confidence knowing that you accept us where we are at. Father, I want to pray for those here that do not yet know you, that they will come to that point of saying, yes, Jesus, yes, I want to encounter you. I want to know you. I want to be living that life of forgiveness, that life of confidence, that life of freedom. Will you come now and will you meet with me today? And Father, I want to pray for all of us now that you will give us that confidence to be doing life together. You will be giving us that confidence that we are family. You will be giving us that confidence to know that we are accepted by you, but we are accepted by our family here. That we will not stay just observers watching in, but you will give every one of our family here, whatever their age, whatever their background, however long they've been in this church, you will give them that knowledge that you call them into our family, that you call us to be family together, encountering you on our journey. Amen.